Hello, welcome to Spotlight, sparkling our way into an artistic Christmas. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. This evening we catch up with the Manx youth bard Hadassah Smith. Hear from the weird and wonderful broken folk duo Lunatractors playing in Dorby this very evening. And a chat with Manx-born author Luc Quain as he's been touring local schools with his sequel to Alban and the Guardians. Remember, do get in touch with any creative artistic endeavours you may be involved in, planning, hoping to create or really want to put in the spotlight. Poetic, visual, theatrical, musical, film, literary, mime, percussion, you name it. It's all art. Get in touch. Howard Kane at manxradio.com. Spotlight at manxradio.com. But do get in touch before Christmas, after Christmas, whenever. Love to hear from you. So, it's been a long time since we... Last had a chat with the Manx youth bard, Hadassah Smith. Amazingly, she only has around three months to go in her year in post. Happily, we've been enjoying some of her wonderful poetry through this year, and I managed to get together with her earlier this week for a few minutes to see what she'd been up to. I began by asking her if she thought her year had gone quickly. It absolutely has, yeah. It's just, like, absolutely just gone. I just can't explain it, honestly. It's been lovely um, this whole year, but my... The time's flown. Yeah. And so what What have you... Can you give us any sort of highlights or anything that sort of sticks in your mind from what you've been doing thus far or anything you've particularly done which has really been notable? Well, just recently I did the 75th um, anniversary of the human's rights and um, one of them is... Uh, I did two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Winds of the Earth and... The Battle of. So, yeah, they were, re- they, people have been commenting as well, saying that they're really lovely. Um, and <laughs> I, I've, I've been, I've, I've also been busy with um, being invited to some gatherings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have you actually found writing the poetry? Because then sometimes I think when you are the sort of bard or youth bard, you sort of almost get commissioned to do something. They say, can you do a piece for, for, for such and such? Have you had that? And is that is that difficult when someone says, oh, hi, would you be able to do a piece on this? Yeah, it, it is quite hard, especially when they give you about a week's notice. You're kind of just like, oh, I've got school, I've got all these other things. And then you just got this as well to add on to. But um, and Is that more difficult to get inspiration then? Because if you're, if you're just writing for yourself, then it's something you know that comes into your head or a thought or a vision or something that you... You know, you have a passion about you want to write, whereas if you're asked to write about something else, it could be something you really know not a great deal about. Or is that harder? Do you think? Um, it can be hard sometimes. Usually, um, I just do put put on some music, mm-hmm. um, just writing music, and sometimes it does come in pieces. But it does it does get quite hard sometimes, and you're just like you get this writer's block, and I'm just like, oh no, please no. That is terrible when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. And do you get the other way where sometimes everything just flows out of your pen, or your do you write by pen? Or do you write straight into your iPad? Or? Um, I write straight into my right computer. Your phone. Or so do you sometimes device. find where it just goes woomph and it's just flows straight out in one? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. Uh, sometimes like I get. I, sometimes I actually go off of the purpose, um, what the purpose of the poem is for, and um, I, sometimes I have to remind myself, okay, like you've got to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> and what about? Do you think? Have you managed? Do you think inspire others? Because it's 
we were saying just as, just before we started chatting here how poetry can be a very private passion sometimes. I, I've known friends for years, and I never knew they wrote poetry until I started chatting. They said, oh, yeah, I, I write poems because they, they might never have performed them. They might never have read them out. They'll have just done them purely for their own joy, their own satisfaction, the cathartic process or whatever. Do you find sort of chatting with other friends that, that you've, you've helped to inspire or other people think, oh, yeah, I might have a go at a bit of poetry? Well, there is actually this one friend I do have and she is she loves her um, literature and um, her language, the, mm -hmm. the English language mm -hmm. as well. Um, so, so she likes writing stories and reading books a lot and she was actually thinking of entering this competition for poems and she was just like, hey, Hadassah, do you want to come like help me on this? Come join me, yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon she could go in for the next part? Maybe, yeah. maybe. I'll have to have a talk to her about <laughs> it. <laughs> so three more months, anything up? Do you know anything coming up, do you know, between between now and the end of your, your bardic year? No, not really. No. Open book at the moment. It's yeah, it's open book, honestly. But I do, I do have a lot going on school-wise as yeah, well. Yeah, super busy. Oh uh, yeah. Super busy. And do you, yeah, I was going to say, do you have to try and because it is a busy time. Like you said, you've got all that schoolwork. So, do you find your poetry is it an early morning thing, a late night thing, or do you just sort of squeeze it in whenever you've got a window? Well, both the second and the last one, I do squeeze it in whenever I can. But it. It's so it's so annoying because it mainly comes to me at night, and I'm like, yeah. uh, I'm, I love my sleep, yeah. uh, hundred percent. Like, and it's just so annoying when I get something really good, and then it's just like, if I don't write it down, it's gonna go. But I don't want to wake up because then I won't fall asleep again. And <laughs> so. do you have that? I know a lot of people who who are yeah, creative people, either songwriters or poets, and and they they quite often either have quite. And they will have an old-fashioned pen and paper on their sort of bedside locket. So if they, exactly what you're saying, if they wake up, they just jot a few thoughts down while it's there and then hope to go straight back to sleep. Do you do that or do you find? No, I just ask Siri to do it. <laughs> <laughs> very techie, very techie, very organised. Um, we'd better have a little bit of poetry, I suppose. Um, this is a Christmas one. Lovely. Well, it is Christmas coming up, so it's, uh, yeah, it'd be lovely to have a Christmas song as well. Thank you. Spirit of Winter. The crispness of the Christmas air fills me with such exhilaration. Gleeful carolers singing, bells ringing out of their euphoric rhythm as people gear for this winter delight. A thick fluffy blanket covers the city, icy blue flakes falling from a luminous sky. For we all know upon us the night is mythical. Children sleep whilst the snow's elegance revives the spirit of those whose hearts are dull to the warming sensation of the winter spirit. A moist young moon hangs above the mist of a neighbouring city of white ice. Children ecstatic as gifts unwrapped in bows exposing the gifted objects given to them by he who ho ho hoes. Whilst the parents grin at their children's good cheer. He who ho ho hoes. <laughs> like that line. Very good. Very good indeed. Lovely piece. Listen, it's been great catching up. Um, will you come and have another little chat before you end your bardic year? Yeah. Be lovely. Yeah. And uh, well, I wish you a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Dark and weird.
weird music of Lunar Tractors from their latest album, Solstice Weird. Lunar Tractors are Carly Jefferson and Claire Le Couture, and the music is a mix of close vocal harmonies, overtones, drones, accordion, analogue synth, wonderful percussion, bells, gongs, to say nothing of vocals and dancing. The duo are no strangers to the Isle of Man as Claire has family who live in Dorby, which is where they are playing this very evening in the wonderful schoolrooms at St James's. Well, they dropped by the Spotlight Studios to tell me more, and I began by asking them where the term oft used to describe their music, broken folk, came from. We made it up. <laughs> we started the hashtag ourselves. <laughs> and some people hashtag. are starting to use it now, actually, to describe their work, too. So it just didn't, none of the other alternative folk experimental folk trad folk it is also trad folk it's some very very old old work from you know previous centuries but it, none of it completely made sense and we were sitting with a friend one day and said oh no it seems like broken folk might be a good term yeah i think because we were thinking about broken beat i don't know if you're into that mm-hmm. stuff um jungle we we grew up listening to acid house and jungle and trip hop and all that stuff drum and bass so yeah. uh, we were looking for something that gestured towards that a little bit but it's also i think we also think of it as a, as a a kind of opposite in a way to to what we don't stand for in the folk world which is this idea of purity you know the the kind of pure white unbroken tradition of of ethno nationalistic kind of um you know we we're, we're about hybridity and broken like a mosaic is broken you know that things things need to be broken and reshuffled and moved and that doesn't have to be a bad thing and did you both come from from a, a background or a love of, of of the folk idiom itself? No, we certainly didn't come from that world, and that's why it's quite interesting to to be coming from to be going there now, because I came from I was working in theatre mostly and dance. I've come grown up as a I started dancing at four, so tap dance and various other forms, and I'm also a clown and choreograph for a living, and we both studied art so we were coming from definitely a different direction you're from a slightly different angle as well aren't you that you're gonna indulge my um my <laughs> so I, I, I grew up listening to a lot of irish folk um because my dad's mum's irish or was irish i don't know if you're still irish when you're dead probably <laughs> um and she but she left ireland and and you know wanted nothing to do at all with that with that history in her life so my dad grew up my my dad had this I, th- I think always had this kind of sense of wanting that connection with Ireland and we so we so listening to Irish folk music was part of that and and so that that's a big influence on my sonic world but apart from that no nothing to do with it um and actually came to it because I was feeling I put out a record of of my own stuff and then I was feeling like I really wanted to connect with a musical tradition that wasn't second-hand black american music you know that, that that was a musical tradition that i felt like i could grow roots into without feeling that i was just nicking other people's stuff so i i started looking into these amazing songs from the 1800s about in a way my family history which is like you know australia ireland and and, and england and and the kind of colonial triangle there and and all those stories of migration and and um imprisonment and loss and all that kind of stuff and so that body of song became the thing that we started off 
mess, mucking about with when we and, made a band. Yeah, it? and that's stripping things back to what you have w- when you lose everything else. If the electric goes off, we can still sing a song together, use our hands and feet and our bodies to make the music. And uh, and there's something, I think, also being that we met in Prague, in Czech Republic, uh, in 2013, where we start, where I started to play for your album that you were making at the time. I feel like that's a place that connected me in a way more to the folklore, to the everyday reality of folklore, because it's very much part of it's a very strong part of the culture there in Czech Republic yeah. and in Slovakia. Yeah. You really get a much more direct sense of it on the in the everyday. So I feel like that's a place and that just singing, that just singing out and people singing en masse and dancing is a really key part of culture there. And singing it's and not dancing some high art or whatever. At the same time, I think it's the thing that we just we was just suddenly it was a revelation for us where we were like hang on a minute we can sing and do body percussion at the same time and that's the whole thing we just don't need anything else you know we can be on a train station platform we can be in an underpass we can be anywhere and we can do something and I, and that yeah. was exciting but actually you just made me think of something Carly which is that in a way although we didn't we weren't coming from a folk music background we were definitely both into folklore yeah from a very young age we were both yeah. into sort of myths Myth and legends and legend and, yeah exactly um and those ki- that that kind of alternative way of, of viewing the world, are more of a sort of interested in a more magical or spiritual and way- ritual ceremony. This, this sense of summoning power and, and connecting to nature and the elements and all those. So it, it's definitely. A, it's I def- think it has been a fascination for both of us, yeah. but we just didn't really realise it because we weren't coming from the the folk families. And now that we've been going for about six years now, and now that this uh, suddenly there's another one of these folk revivals no they keep saying there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a new wave at the moment which just seemed kind of funny that we we seem to be making the stuff that now people are going oh they didn't like it at the beginning i think people more and more are really wanting to especially post covid although that's kind of wobbled everything and destabilized mm. a lot of sense of what it is to be social with people and how it is to commune and to come together but i think people are more and more needing that they're feeling the urgency of that of their of their humanity and how we're, we're seeing things that we maybe would not have seen in times when they were making music before we're exposed to so much more so much more of the the brutality and the reality of the world and there's a need to kind of connect to some kind of roots to connect to our to our bodies and and yeah. and, and what we have to say and it's coming out of protest as well what we're doing is 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 connected to and is protest music as well. This evening's gig is super busy, I have to say. Really busy. But if you turn up, who knows? They often manage to squeeze a few extras down Dorby Way. It's bound to be a wonderful evening of music and performance like no other. You can catch their music on Bandcamp, download or buy a physical copy of Solstice Weird and other music's a fascinating listen. I should say they are not fans of Spotify. Just putting that out there.
To finish, a quick chat with the marvellous author of inspiring and thoughtful novels for young folk, Luke Quain. Luke grew up in Mackleton, drew on memories from his childhood on the island to inspire the fantasy setting of Alban and the Guardians. We spoke earlier in the year, but never want to rest on his laurels. He's been back on the Isle of Man recently, touring local schools again. Uh, I asked if this tour was linked in with his recently released Alban sequel. I think I knew the answer. It is, yeah. So it's Alban and the New Order, which kind of takes place a year after the uh, events of the first book. Um, and yeah, we've been going around the schools. We've been to Henry Bloom Noble, Cronkerberry and St. Thomas's this time. Um, and we've been in Waterstones actually for a sign-in. Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun and great to see all kind of the energy of everyone. Give us a pricey then for those who might not have got in with Alban and the Guardians in the first one. Give us a little mm. pricey about what the storyline, what the narrative's about. Okay, so without trying to spoil anything from the first one, um, the events that take place in the first one kind of force the civilization that Alban lives in to kind of reevaluate and rejig everything that they originally believed in. And this kind of story takes place where Alban did that thought he was going to get this happily ever after and be finished but actually you, you can't change a civilization overnight and there are some uh i could say teething issues with the new order that he has set up uh within the town and it's his he has to kind of face past traumas from the previous year in order to try and further improve the the civilization and what's the target audience for the for the album books? Um, so it, I, we've said about from the age of eight to twelve. Um, we have had old, like fully grown adults and much older uh, people reading it and really, really enjoying it. But yeah, it seems to be kind of around eight and up that uh, are most kind of uh, engaged with us. And where was the original initiative? Do you think to actually start the writing on these? Where did that come from? Um, so I've kind of always wanted to be an author. I am. Um, I've said this actually before, I think. Um, we had Simon Murray, who's the author of um, Icky Doodah and uh, it was Moki Joe when I was in school. Um, and they brought him into school. And as a young kid who just loved writing stories, he came in and told me that that's actually a job and you can do that and, and as, your, yeah, as your work. And from then on, that's kind of all I ever really wanted to do. Uh, and I, yeah, did my best. Oh, I've done it. <laughs> um, and, and specifically uh, writing for, for a younger audience, or did you not sort of know where, you, where you'd be pitching yourself? No, I kind of had to learn that that's more my voice, whether that, <laughs> whether that means I'm a bit uh, uh, less mature than uh, some <laughs> other authors. But I, like, yeah, I've gone through many, many stories um, as, as an adult trying to write a book. And um, many of them that I didn't quite, didn't quite work were always when I tried to write for a more grown-up audience and when I wrote when I decided to try and write like a, for a younger audience it just felt so much more right and like mm. me and like my voice of how I write yeah um so it just suited and I, I very much enjoy it now I'm, I'm, I'm always told the Muslim to speak to authors quite often people say it's actually more difficult to write for children <laughs> than it is for for adults do you, do you think that's the case oh or? for uh, for me I'd say the opposite if I'm <laughs> honest <laughs> again that might be my uh my mental uh state but um no, I find with adults, you've got to write with kind of more of a, everything's got a meaning and a purpose, whereas with kids, you can just be silly, and it's it's much more fun, kind of, um, yeah, just enjoyable, I find. <laughs> it's one thing writing, of course, another thing getting it out there. W mm. was, was that a challenge? So once, you know, you can have the ideas, you can put the ideas down, you can get it, you know, you can refine your storyline, your narrative until you're happy, but 
until it actually gets out there into the marketplace and people actually read it and buy it. You're just writing for yourself, aren't you? Was it difficult to actually get into the marketplace? Oh, yeah, very much so. That was uh, it's the bit I enjoy the least, I'd say, because um, I love writing. That's that's the bit I like. But it so it takes me about well, it took me about 10 days, 14 days, something like that to actually write draft one of a book and like the full book. And I love that bit. But it's then once you've written the draft, you, uh, yeah, it's it's then the hard bit of um, formatting and coming up with a cover design. And you have to work with quite a lot of different people uh, to just get it to that point of it looking like a book. Um, so that bit adds on like another at uh, least six months. And six months is if everyone makes it their top priority, which I appreciate. Other than me, very few people will. Um, so, yeah, that's why I kind of took a year to get this next one out is just because it... Um, yeah, I had I had it written mm-hmm. like in ten days, but it just yeah the formatting and the front covers and the kind of yeah working with everyone else takes make everyone happy takes um, quite a while. And it, was it? Well, it doesn't sound like it was a challenge to write it then, because we were mm. saying before when we came in this idea of writing the sequel. If you've had a you know a, a good first book out, you get it out there. It's a great a case of always the case. Right, what's next? Here comes the sequel. A different mindset needed, or just a continuance. Oh, very much a different mindset. And that is something I very much had to learn this year. Because when you write like your first novel, although you have to kind of create everything and you have to explain everything in a lot more detail, like let's say, you uh, are kind of at free reign. Like you can just not think about it and say the main character has green eyes and you don't have to worry about it and you just kind of carry on. Or this forest that surrounds you is full of pine trees. And uh, yeah, you never think twice about it. You just get it on the page and you carry on. With the second book, or like any sequel, I guess, you're bound by your own rules that you wrote in the first. You can't suddenly say your main character has brown eyes, or you can't not think about it and say that actually there's some maple trees within this forest, because it would contradict the first one. So I found it so, like, not so much more difficult, but it was just a different game that uh, I had to play to kind of always look back at what I'd written before. Um, Because I found myself having to reread my first book that I've written, it must have been about 10 times to make sure I, you know, didn't at some point say, uh, you know, if I've never mentioned Albin's eye colour, I can now make it up. If at some point in the middle of the story I'd mentioned that he's got blue eyes, I need to read every bit that describes Albin to make sure I've not already decided that feature. Um, so, yeah, it's, it really, I found it as a different ball game. <laughs> You've been touring around schools again on the island going around. What sort of response have you been getting from, from the kids as you go around the schools? Oh, the, the enthusiasm from the kids is infectious to even me. And I'm, you know, I'm the one trying to get them enthusiastic. It's, we've had the amount of effort the kids uh, put into this. We do like a competition where the kids design, like we get them started on their own novel uh, with the bit that I found the most difficult, which is um, designing the front cover. Um, and yeah, the amount of effort the children put in is it's amazing. Obvious question is where now then? So we've had uh, Alban and the Guardians, we've got uh, Alban and the New Order. I'm assuming, if not already written, there's already uh, a, another volume in your head. Where would you go from here? There is, yeah. So there's going to be at least four books of Alban uh, and this kind of adventure. Um, I'm planning on writing this one uh, again within a year. So it should be around this time next year that the third one will be coming out uh, which is Alban and the call to war um, which is really when I'd like to say things start heating up um, with the first book I had to like make that kind of its own complete story and there's kind of a conclusion uh, and an ending and that's because I wasn't a hundred percent certain I was going to write anymore 
um, of this particular adventure. Mm. Um, but now I am. I was able with a sequel, the one that's out now, uh, to write kind of more of a slower lead into kind of, say, the big uh, overarching story. And that is going to kind of really kick off in the third one. Um, and then hopefully nicely conclude in the fourth one. Look forward to speaking to Luke again in 2024. Always a pleasure, an amazing imagination, and just what will happen as the books progress. Another amazing local talent playing on the world literary stage. That's about it for this week, and I think this year. Thanks very much for listening tonight and over the last 12 months. No spotlight next week, a quick Christmas break. We'll be back bright-eyed, bushy-tailed in the new year. Don't forget, if you want to hear anything again, go to maxradio.com, download the Spotlight podcast, listen where and when you want, whilst wrapping those late presents, perhaps. Have a wonderful Christmas, and whatever you're doing, be creative about it. Cheerio, and a happy Christmas. Christmas.